0: Isaiah 37, verse 5. When King Hezekiah's official came, officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. I'm going to put a spirit in him so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. The word of the Lord. Lord, bless this sermon. Help me to be clear and concise and compelling with practical application to our lives today, and for the future. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we just read Isaiah chapter 37, verses 5 to 7. And this has to do with what we've been studying. And actually the title of the sermon today is Recapitulation in Isaiah 5. And if you look on the handouts, you can see where it's introduced today. It is... Recapitulation in Isaiah 5, last things, 58. Well, that's a lot of sermons, 58 sermons. And we will focus on King Hezekiah as the godly king who reunites Israel with Judah in the wake of Sagnacharib's humiliation. Now, underneath that is information I'd like you to look at at home so I don't get people bogged down in tedious repetition of history. I love history. And when I first took history as a Christian, I began to pray that God would enable me to have a memory palace. That is, that He would enable me to remember things in a systematic and orderly way so I could recall them. But 99% of people, unless they teach history, don't do that. And so therefore, when you say, this happened in 41 B.C., B.C. what? Those, those B.C. Uh, powders that you put in Coca-Cola's with uh, peanuts? Sorry, that was a terrible joke. The point is most people don't think in chronological terms. And because I keep a, a journal, I have not absolute recall. I get things messed up. But I have everything arranged in my own little memory palace. And so, I don't want to confuse you with facts. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's like TV people. I don't want to confuse you with facts, so here's the latest malarkey. So, my point is that I've given you something here that was my wife's suggestion. She said, why don't you give the summary of each of the preceding messages, and then at the end I decided on my own to give you the list of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah... The king of Syria, who's relevant, the kings of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the kings of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire. So that's what this is about. Now, looking at our passage, what's happened here, if you recall, is that there was an incident of speaking in tongues. And the incident of speaking in tongues is fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28's curse. God cursed His people if they rebelled against Him and broke the covenant. And He said, before you're driven into exile, before you are totally destroyed with famine, you're going to hear people speaking in tongues. What did He mean? Well, what He meant was, what happened in the days of Elisha the prophet? That is, they're starving inside the city, and outside they hear people speaking in tongues. What do I mean? They're speaking in foreign languages. And here's the example that I practiced over and over again to say to you, and that is out of Isaiah 28.10. Sav la sav, sav la sav, sav la sav, kav la kav, la la ze'er sham ze'er sham those were the words in hebrew in terms of Isaiah 28.10. What does that mean? It means that when people speak in a language you don't understand, it sounds like baby talk, like coochie-coo. And so what happens is this was one of the curses named explicitly in Deuteronomy 28 that would precede God's other judgment on His people. And it happened again in 722 B.C. when the northern kingdom fell to Samaria and it happened in 586-87 B.C. when the southern kingdom fell. And lo and behold, it happened again 40 years after Jesus prophesied it would happen when Jerusalem was surrounded by the armies of all these people from the Romans who spoke Greek, seriously, to those who spoke other languages, to those who spoke Arabic, because Jerusalem was surrounded by a team of hostile armies under the commander, Roman general Titus, the son of Vespasian, who went to become emperor after Nero uh, committed suicide. So the point I'm making is this. Tongue speaking what is often called tongue speaking, and we looked at that last week in First Corinthians 14, is simply a warning sign to the unbelieving Jewish people that God's judgment is about to fall on them heavily, heavily. So in light of that, that baby talk, remember what happened. The representatives of Sennacherib were speaking to the Jewish leaders who had come out from King Hezekiah to talk to them, and they're speaking in Hebrew. And the representative said, Please, please don't speak to us in Hebrew. We want you to speak in Aramaic, which we understand. We don't want the people on the wall to hear this. And then the leader says, Well, here's how it goes. And he speaks loudly to the people on the wall, where he tells them they're going to be reduced to such poverty that they're going to be eating and drinking their own waste products. In other words, psychological terrorism. So that's the background of this. And then he sends a letter to uh, Hezekiah. And in that letter, he blasphemes the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And this is the background of it. So Hezekiah sends to Isaiah. Now let's look over across the page, 1115, 1115, verse 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Notice these first words. Because you have prayed. Oh, wouldn't you rather cuss about politicians? Wouldn't you rather cuss about economic situations? Wouldn't you rather cuss about inflation? Wouldn't you rather cuss about our industries? Wouldn't you rather cuss about you can't get a new car today? Wouldn't you rather cuss about all those things? What good does cussing do? Wow. Wow. Cursing does something, but cussing is just bad manners and doesn't do anything. Now, how about contributing to political causes? Oh, okay, that gives you a sense of relief, but what good does it really do? The parties are essentially alike. They're all in the NFL, even though they're on different teams. What good can you do? What can you accomplish by your human effort to solve the horrible problems that are facing us in 2022? Amen. Not a thing. Amen. So what does Hezekiah do? He prays. And Isaiah says to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Because you've prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is what the Lord has spoken against him. And so we get this big, uh, long speech here. And I want to get down to the end because I want to finish this sermon today. Verse 26 have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I brought it to pass. What is going on here? If you proceed, pre- read what precedes this, it's, Hezekiah, it's, it's Sennacherib and all of the kings of Assyria and kings of Babylon because they're really one nation. That's what we need to understand. There's no real distinction between Assyria and Babylon. They're all one people. They're Saddam Hussein's ancestors. They are the Iraqis. They just had different shifts in terms of who's in charge. And he's bragging, I did this and I did that. I invented the internet and I did this and I did that. And somebody had a had a sticker on a gas pump. In fact, I've seen them all over the country as I've gotten gas, with a certain political leader saying, I did that. So Sennacherib's boasting and bragging and said, yeah, I've done all this. And God's response is, I'm the one behind this whole thing. Can you look at life in modern America and say, God's behind it? Well, if you really understand the Bible, you can. You can say that God uses wicked people, evil people, lawless people, godless people to accomplish His purpose. And what is God's purpose for you and for me? God's purpose in 2021 and 2022 is to refine the church, the people of God. The true people of God. God wants to refine you. He wants to revive you. He wants to purify out of your life and my life everything that dishonors him and displeases him. And I'm going to tell you, I've never seen God work so powerfully as I've seen in 2021 and 2022 refining people. I'll say this in my own life and experience. And I'm not bragging but I have never pursued holiness in my entire life since becoming a Christian as much as I have in, these, in this period of time. God is refining me. Have I reached home yet? No. When I go to heaven, I'll reach home. But God is refining my life as He has never refined my life before. And He's doing that to the whole church. And He's using wicked people and their wicked schemes and all of the troubles because all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. What works together for good? Winning the lottery? What works together for good? Having everything going your way? Everything's coming up roses? Is that what works together for good? No, adversity works to shape you and to shape me into becoming like Jesus. Because the standard of holiness is not the Ten Commandments. It's not even the summary in the two commandments. The standard of holiness is nothing less than the Lord Jesus Christ, how he lived, because the essence of the life of Jesus is the summary of the Ten Commandments, is the summary of the Torah, is the summary of the whole Bible. That's the standard. And what is the ultimate standard in the life of Christ? It's something that, as I ponder it, I have to say again and again, Lord, I come short. Because the standard of the life of Jesus is nothing less than surrendering all his rights, all his privileges, all his prerogatives, and putting you ahead of himself. And that's the standard. That's the standard. And when I look at the standard of the life of Jesus, i got to tell you, I come short. And that's why when we understand that Jesus is the standard, not the law, though Jesus kept the law, it brings me back again and again to my need as I look at the Lord's Supper. Lord, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And so God used this man and turn over the page one 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 six and God says of him, but I know where you stay, and when you come and go, and how you rage against me. Verse twenty nine. Notice verse twenty nine. Isaiah thirty seven twenty nine. Because you rage against me, and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. That's very significant. The Assyrians and the Babylonians were among the most cruel people in the history of the world. Again, they're one people. What do they do? You know what they did? When they conquered a city, they put hooks in the nose of the men and the women and the children. Hooks in the nose. Just like somebody would put a hook in a bull's nose and attach something to it so that when you pull it, you got the bull under your control. That's what they did to all their captives. And they led them into captivity naked and barefooted in abject humiliation. That's what the Assyrian Empire did. The Neo-Assyrian Empire did. They put hooks in people's noses and tied those hooks to the hooks in the person in front of them and the person behind them. And that's how they led them. And God says, boy, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to do unto you what you've done unto my people. Now, it's interesting. And so what happens is that God does something amazing. And this is what He does. Let's look over here at what God says further in verse 33. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramps against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of of David, my servant. Now look at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord... Wow! The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, who reverence him, who respect him, who put him ahead of everybody else, including ahead of themselves. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Verse 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Now, that happens in 701 B.C. Remember that God doesn't do history the way you and I do history. Because he lived on from 701 until October the 20th, six. 81 B.C. That's the one day in verse 38. One day, it's not like saying next day. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, and that is some kind of reconstruction of the language of ancient Assyria, his god Nisroch, his sons Adramalach and Sherezer, Cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Do you see what's here? I want you to think about it for a moment. What did, God, what did God do? If you read the parallel accounts, what God did when he put a hook in that man's nose. Just imagine it. pulling on your nose. Person in front, please slow down, please slow down. Person behind you, please speed up, please speed up. What it says is that God put a spirit in him. You know, you read that in certain places. For example, when the wicked king Ahab rebelled against God, God held a council meeting in heaven of the heavenly hosts. And he asked these questions. These questions, and this included good angels and bad angels. And he said this, who will go and entice Ahab that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spirit said this, and another spirit did that. And finally, a spirit came forward, obviously a demonic spirit, and he said, I'll do it. And God said, how? And he said, I'll go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And you know what God said? Go and do it. Go and do it. Have you ever wondered about the trouble in the world? That sometimes it's because Almighty God has said to evil principalities and powers, Go and do it. These people have turned their back on me. They've renounced all of their sense of my ownership, my establishment over them. And God says, Go and do it. Have you ever thought about that? That's why... The only solutions to our problems lie in repentance before God and earnest praying. So, this is what God does He puts a spirit in Sennacherib that causes him to leave, and God wipes out 185,000 soldiers who were serving in the Assyrian army. It's serious to serve in the military. Christians should serve. But Christians should not be eager for war. Because what happened? These were people like our young men, like my grandson who's in the National Guard. And they're sent on a mission because the king said it. We better do it. And the angel of the Lord annihilated 185,000 of them and then put a demon spirit inside the mind of Sennacherib, and he went back. And what an amazing picture. Hezekiah is safe and surround. He's as safe as if he's a baby in his mama's arms because he's in the middle of the loving care of God. But Sennacherib goes back, and there he is, worshiping, kneeling before his demon god when his two sons come and kill him with the sword and run away and escape uh, to the ancient kingdom of Armenia. Wow. Wow. So dear ones bringing this home to us today. We have a privilege most people don't have. You know, the priest alone could take, partake of the sacrifices. But we have one who suffered outside the camp for us. And we have a greater privilege than Aaron and his sons had. We are able to commune with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who lifts us up where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and He feeds us with Himself. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. I just know that it is, not how it is. And that privilege is extended to you and me. And as we take Holy Communion this morning, I want this to seize your heart. Would you prepare to meet your God? Because I tell you, If I know anything about the flow of history, and if I can extrapolate from the flow of history into the future, which is always dangerous, I'm going to say we're facing the worst days that the United States has ever faced, including when Abraham Lincoln was elected and my ancestors in South Carolina went to the battery and fired on, Fort, on, on the Star of the West coming to supply Fort Sumter. We're in more dangerous days today than we were back then in the Civil War. Prepare to meet thy God. But you know what? This meal speaks to you and to me in the most eloquent and profound way that we are with God exactly the way Hezekiah was with God. We're safe and secure from all alarms. It speaks to us of that. The bread speaks to us of the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself up for us. The wine speaks to us of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who shed His precious blood that your sins and my sins would be forgiven and forgotten so that we have right standing with God. And if we have right standing with God, we don't need to be afraid. The angel of the Lord is encamping around us. The angel of the Lord will kill our enemies if our enemies are going to do us damage that would take us down to hell. Jesus said that the very hairs of our head are preserved. And the enemies that would be the ultimate enemy are those who would seduce us away from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What security is spoken to us in this meal? And it's the security that says, God Almighty will deal with the Sennacheribs of the world.